97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Mark Reardon. You know, politicians want to force you to cover your face as a way for them to cover their own asses. Mark Reardon. Does the president not know what's going on? I don't care if you think I'm Satan reincarnated. The Mark Reardon Show is on now. Okay, now I can hear in both ears. I know the audience was very concerned about that. They have no idea what I'm talking about. We have this little button here on the uh, control board that's called Q. (laughs) Here we go with a topic that no one cares about. The boss is probably listening and saying, Mark, why are you doing this right now? But I couldn't hear, so I started the show a little later. The Q button cuts my audio out in one side of my brain, Sue. I don't want that. And then I didn't have your mic on. How are you this afternoon? I'm fine, thank you. Let's get rolling here for uh, Thursday edition of the show. And I guess you you were just mentioning you went on a walk today. The weather's not too bad. It was nice for a while. Not going to last. No, it is not. No, I guess back down into uh, bone-chilling conditions tomorrow and on Saturday. I have, um, as many of us do, and I think there's a fair amount of St. Louis people down in Florida. I have a bunch of friends in the Fort Myers area. Oh, that's And fun. gosh, I've heard from them in the past few days. Funny <laughs> funny how that works, right? <laughs> George Gray out in California as well, because I told him yesterday, we were communicating, you know, just to answer one question some people may have, maybe I'm the only one, but they announced they do this thing called Price is right live and they're doing it at the factory in Chesterfield in March mm-hmm. and George has done those before. Yes, he has. He goes out and they it's a separate deal from his TV deal for people that don't know George is the voice on the Price is Right and he's a friend and a St. Louis guy he comes on this show quite a bit. But he's not doing that one. He wanted to make it clear that 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 time he's not doing it. But okay. we'll have him back. He'll be back for baseball season. Etc. So we got a bunch of stuff that I want to cover today. Some of it kind of goes back to yesterday's show. We'll um, kind of get into some media bias stuff uh, eventually. Let me let me kind of start with some stuff here on immigration because Bill Malusian, who's just he, this will never happen, but Bill Malusian should win some sort of award for the work that he's doing on the border because. As far as I can tell, he's like the only person that's reporting on what's really happening at the border. So let me start with Bill, and then I'll get into some of the stuff from yesterday with um, KJP and and reaction from the lieutenant governor of Texas. So this is—by the way, we're seeing stories like this on a regular basis, and we're told nothing to see here. The border's just fine as millions of people stream over. So here's Bill's report from a few hours ago. And there's a little bit of an update here, but let me just read the details here. Um, An illegal immigrant from Haiti charged with raping a developmentally disabled person in Boston was released from jail into the community after the sanctuary jurisdiction in Dorchester refused to honor ICE's detainer request. ICE in Boston just found and rearrested him, and they call the local decision to release him without notice disturbing, you think? The statement from ICE is disturbingly, and despite our filing, an immigration detainer, this individual was released back into the community by criminal court. H- how could that happen? I, I, oh. The men and women of ERO Boston, I'm not sure what ERO is, what am I missing there, uh, continue to protect the community from those who pose a real public safety threat to our communities. The man will now stay in federal ICE custody until his local rape charges are adjudicated. Then ICE will seek to deport him. Thank you, ICE. We appreciate that. Background. This is Bill. The Haitian man. <laughs> okay. Where do you think he came in? Take a stab. Uh, let me see. The border? Mm. Brownsville, Texas. Mm-hmm. That's right. Port of entry, Brownsville, Texas. December 2022. He was deemed inadmissible 
and released into the U.S. with a future court date. In September of last year, Boston police arrested him for rape and indecent assault and battery on a disabled person. ICE filed a detainer request with local authorities in Dorchester seeking his custody. The request was ignored. Oh, apparently Kim Gardner has a new job, right? She's out in Massachusetts. The alleged rapist was released into the community in November. ICE found and rearrested him a little more than a week ago, and they issued uh, a news release on that. And per the source, Bill says 31-year-old Haitian's name is Pierre Lucard Emile, and there is a prison uh, photograph or at least a mugshot of him. It's just unbelievable that this happens on a regular basis. Now, you would think that that should be a news story. Someone should cover that outside of Bill Malusian as a news story. But, wow, that's going to make the— uh, you know, the migrants, what are we allowed to call them anymore? We can't call them illegal aliens. We can't really do anything without the legacy media getting involved here. And I want to point this out again because I think this is important. And someone should challenge the CNNs of the world. We'll talk about this on the roundtable tomorrow. This has gotten shockingly little attention in the rest of the media, even on Fox. L.A. Times poll from yesterday, 62 percent of registered Democrats say the border is out of control. And that number goes higher when it comes to likely voters. Those are Democrats in California. They're not in Nebraska. They're not in Alabama. They're not here in Missouri. 62%. That's a big number in a poll. Usually we're looking at like 52% to 48%. So I think that's a, a you know a considerable story that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Then there's the story that the administration continues to lie about, about the migrants, the woman and her kids that drowned in the Rio Grande last week, and the accusation, not only by the Biden administration, but by most of the media, even though it's now been cited as factually inaccurate, was that the Border Patrol was refused, that Texas authorities physically refused to allow border agents to intervene in the rescue of those people. Physically restrained them or something. Except that they were sadly already dead before any of the information was communicated. And much of the information that was spread in irresponsible, reckless journalistic malpractice methods on Friday and Saturday has yet to be corrected. So you would think that there would be an opportunity in the White House briefing room for KJP to say, yep, you know, we got that wrong because their own DOJ had to correct it. But she doubled down yesterday with Jackie Heinrich. That's the other voice you're going to hear in here. The White House statement says that Texas officials blocked U.S. Border Patrol from attempting to provide emergency assistance. To there were other there were other migrants in the water. Then why as wasn't well. that included in the there statement? There were other migrants in the water. That, that, that that's what you were our, referring to. Our statement is does, is very very much consistent with DOJ filing. As the DOJ filing said, there was an ongoing emergency situation that Border Patrol was blocked from a- accessing. Anything else specific you want to know about that? I would certainly refer you to DOJ. Well, you see where she's trying to get away with this now. She's, well, yeah, you're right. They were dead. We weren't notified about that for an hour. But there were other migrants in the water. Hey, guess what? There are migrants in the water all the time. Yeah. Okay? And there's no evidence that anyone was physically prevented from doing anything by the way. So outside of that, the facts are wrong. Dan Patrick is the lieutenant governor down in Texas. Of course, Texas and Greg Abbott in the state of Texas, that Mike McCarthy, probably at the Dallas Cowboys, who just kept his job, he has to some way be responsible for the border crisis and what's happening in Chicago, in New York, and the rest of the country. It can't be anything else. It can't be this administration. This Border Patrol story is just a totally fabricated by John Pierre. I'm tired, sick and tired of her lack of data, lack of knowledge, and her total lies. Um, These people drowned on the river before they got there. We will do everything we can, as we have been, to save people in distress. 
Um, we're doing far more than the Border Patrol is doing. All they are are hotel clerks, and they, you know, at the at the local Motel 6, just ushering people into this country and letting them go. You know, the question is, where does Joe Biden think these 10 million plus people are going to go? Where are they living? Where are they working? Whose jobs are they taking? What schools are they overcrowding? Uh, what hospitals are they overcrowding? He doesn't care. Listen to this one. Dave Rubin tweeted this out uh, earlier today from the Rubin Report. This is insane. It really is. And this is how Dave positioned it on X formerly Twitter. Just snap this pic. This is the state of absolute insanity happening at our airports. I'm in the pre-TSA line where migrants don't have to show an ID to get through <gasps> security. And it's their choice whether they want their picture taken. So this is an actual document from the TSA. Let me blow it up here because i got to be able to read it on the iPad. Non-U.S. citizen document validation using CBP-1 technology. TSA is partnering with CBP to, what is that? Does anyone know what that is? Look that up. Anyway, to test the use of this technology at certain TSA checkpoints. Here's how it works. (laughs) Notify the TSA officer that you're a migrant. Hey, by the way, we should all try this. Uh, right? Exactly. I mean, what the hell, right? Uh, CBP is U.S. Customs and oh, Border, Border Patrol. Protect. Thank you very much. Border Protection. Okay. Notify, number one, I want to walk people through this in case they want to try this when they're at Lambert tonight. Notify the TSA officer that you are a migrant. That's point number one. Point number two, the TSA officer will take a photo, and then it says in parentheses, no joke, optional. You don't have to take a photo. Number three, if requested, maybe they don't request, provide your alien identification number or biographic information. Um, Four, follow officer instructions. It says, you may decline to have your photo taken. If you do not wish to have your photo taken, please notify a TSA officer. You must still provide your alien identification number or biographical information to the TSA officer, even if you do not have your photo taken. I I have an idea. Um, Let's make sure that their photo is taken. Okay, what? Let's, let's... Wait a minute. So the U.S. citizens have to show our ID, stand in line, and take our shoes off, take our shoes, take our off. laptops out, all these other things. You know, show. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's, if it's... I'm a person just from who's come over the a migrant who's come over the border, we have no information about. I could just fly. I could say no. I don't want my picture taken here. Take this. I could just get on. You have a wait, problem with that? What? Where has you have a problem with that suit? Gone completely out the I don't window. know what your issue is with that suit. Oh that seems completely gosh. legitimate that they would do that in this country. I, I, did you have any idea that was going on? <laughs> no, I did. Not, Fred, did you? No, not, no idea. Not that no in idea. particular. What uh, airport was he at? That's actually a good question. I don't know if I have that information, but it, <sighs> it's it's just stunning. It really is. So that's just a few of the stories that we're going to tackle here today on ninety-seven-one FM Talk. Um, we do have quite a bit, even in this first hour. We had. And I don't think there's a whole lot more in this report than what was in the congressional report that came out in, you know, relatively fast time related. It's almost been two years since Uvalde. So they released this federal report today. Uh, Merrick Garland, I actually had to send Fred a text this morning because I'm watching the coverage and Merrick Garland's up there. And Fred is he does great work pulling a lot of the audio for, you know, the program along with Abby. And I said, oh, God, no, Merrick Garland, he's just too boring. I don't think we need to hear it. But we'll get with uh, Phil Holloway, Fox News legal analyst, about that particular story. He's going to have something to say about the COVID origins subcommittee and the testimony from Dr. Fauci as well. One of the stories that I touched on yesterday, and I think there's a, I would think there's a fair amount of interest from people in the audience on where 
you're going to watch the Cardinals and the Blues in the future, and you have um, this Diamond Sports Group, Sinclair and Bally Sports Midwest is what we watch here in St. Louis. They're bankrupt, and they're trying to figure this out. And there was a report yesterday. It happened very early in the morning, like 6 a.m., the Diamond Sports people sent out a news release, and the news release says, hey, we have um, – I can't remember the exact phrasing, but there's been an investment from Amazon for $115 million or something like that, and we're going to air the games on Prime. That's yeah, the deal, that, except for there's great. a few teams that aren't necessarily included in that deal. The Cardinals are, though. And then MLB and the lawyer said, wait a second, we didn't say, what, what happened? They didn't know it was happening, so they've gone back and forth. I think they're going to be in court again tomorrow – on this, uh, I'm hoping that it happens. I, I really am. I yeah. think give, Prime as a location is is probably a good move. Plus, I'm paying for Fubo right now, and I think it would save me a bunch of money. So selfishly, <laughs> I want that to happen. But the point of all that is I think there's more interest than just me saving 100 bucks on Fubo. Patrick Risch, who is the director of sports business at um, the sports business program at WashU, is going to join us. Oh, that's kinda great. kind of have a take on that. Oh, we're going to talk about. Joe Biden buying smoothies. We're going to talk about my triumphant return to the board game Parcheesi this afternoon. That's going to be a stellar story. We're off and running here on a Thursday edition. All right, well, tomorrow's Friday. That means it's a Reardon Roundtable in the 3 o'clock hour, 24 hours from now. Former State Senator John Lamping, Roundtable veteran. Former State Senator Jeff Smith, Roundtable veteran on the um, left. Donna Berenger, Roundtable veteran, state rep, all here tomorrow. Paul Hall and Entertainment. Kusamana will be here with sports. I have my friend Bill Michaels and do a little self-indulgent football stuff tomorrow, Sue, because oh. the Packers are playing one of my favorite people from uh, my past. I used to work with this guy, Bill Michaels. His nickname was The Big Unit. He is a character, and he's good at the sports stuff. He does uh, shows all across Wisconsin, has a syndicated network up there, so we're going to have him. And then our friend Ron the Bat Guy. We love Ron. Ron we Scheller is a friend Ron. of mine. He's been doing wildlife, bat removal, raccoons, you name it, and he's worked his whole life, and he's finally retired. Mm-hmm. And he's moved um, locations. He was up in, in Staunton, Illinois. His father, who was just aw- awesome, I, I got to meet his father and spend some time. His father would make me, um, I told you, I trapped beaver with, with Ron. And Butch would make um, stew with the beaver meat, and it was excellent. I know this is probably something wow some people don't wow. want to hear. Uh-huh. But the point is, is Ron's going to give us a little bit of a, an exit interview tomorrow, and I'm going to ask him for his favorite Stories of wildlife over the course of his career. And this stuff is nuts. It really the, is. The, the, I mean, his stories are some of the best. Yeah. Well, and it all started when I had bats in the eaves of my home in South City that oh they were there. And I How'd all of a sudden, you find him? Well, I, I think I Googled it, and it came up, the bat guy. And wow. then it might have been, but here's the thing. I use privilege sometimes. I might have talked about it on KMOX, and then, and then somebody, somebody got called. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that that could have been what happened. Phil Holloway with us, Fox News legal analyst, former assistant district attorney. Have you ever been beaver trapping, Phil? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> no, I grew up in uh, South Georgia, so we, I, you know, we did have beaver and we had a lot of water, but uh, never got into trapping. How about gator? Did you ever go after gators? No, well, I mean, you know, we we, we encountered them a lot, right, especially right. fishing in in, uh, in in rural ponds and places like that. But uh, I tried to steer clear of those guys. <laughs> Probably a good idea. Okay, so a couple things to talk about you with you here this afternoon. The Uvalde report came out from the Justice Department. Well, one of the questions I have about this is, good Lord, it took a long time for them to come up with some information that seemingly kind of matches up with what Congress did in their investigation. So did you detect, and I haven't seen a transcript of the whole report yet, Phil, but did you think that there was anything really new in this report today? No, there. I don't think so. Um, I think that you know, I will give credit where it's due. I'm, I'm usually not on the same page with Merrick Garland, but I'm partially on the same page with him. We knew in the 
moments, really, in the hours, certainly in the days following the Uvalde uh, shooting, that that there was an epic failure of law enforcement um, to do what what the modern training is, and that is to basically go for the gun. In other words, if you if you know there's gunfire, you go to where the gunfire is coming from. You engage the active shooter because time is life. If the, if you delay your response and you allow the shooter unimpeded access to uh, innocent victims, then the shooter is going to take advantage of that time and there's going to be more innocent victims. Now, the result is, of course, that it puts law enforcement at greater risk, and so you know it, it, it puts their their lives at risk. But but that kind of goes with the badge. You know, when you put on the badge, we we know that that there's always that risk, and uh, you're expected to to protect these kids. And sitting there and setting up a a, a perimeter, if you will, waiting on backup when there's innocent lives at stake, it's just not the right thing to do for for those of uh, the listening audience who may be old enough to remember the TV show 24 with oh, yeah. Jack Bauer, the fictional Jack Bauer, I like to, to think of it like this. What would Jack Bauer do? Would Jack mm. Bauer sit back and wait? No, he uh, would not. Or would he say, we've got to go in right now? And, and you know, it's it's dramatic and all for TV, but it's it's reality because that's the training. That's that's what law enforcement is supposed to do. So the, the key there is this, um, whether it's 77 minutes or 75 or 73 I think there's been a variety of claims on yeah. the time that lapsed. But look, that that is a long time. More than an hour elapsed between when the gunman goes into the school. You had 19 kids that were killed, two teachers in Uvalde, Texas. Then police finally stormed the classroom where he'd be killing children. And, you know, there was a 911 call that came in from that room. And w- that's a, such a long time. I mean, look, in a, in a situation like that, I'd say 15 minutes is forever. Right, Phil? It, it's it's a lifetime, literally. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that... Uh, I'm left scratching my head. I can't imagine, you know, it's been a long time since I put on a uniform as a police officer, but I can't imagine uh, back in those days when I did that, um, that I would just sit back and wait uh, hearing gunfire. I would like to think that I would do something different. So I cannot imagine leadership in law enforcement basically directing this type of delay. It's just almost unconscionable. Now, of course, Merrick Garland had to um, had to get into the the gun control and issue and and blaming you know the guns for for the evil that was the shooting. So he could not resist the opportunity to to get political with this. Um, but back to your original question, I don't know why it took so long for the Justice Department to to release this report. It seems like something we all knew almost immediately. Well, and, and yeah, and, and especially it's 77 pages um, when you add the table of contents. But when you think about this was July of 2022 and the months that have passed, especially since you probably don't have a whole lot of new information in here. So that was confusing. But that's the federal government, I guess. And, you know, one of the questions that the family members were asking, I suppose, is why were more police officers named in this? Now, I don't know what your take would be, because to me, it seems just at a quick glance, there was a lot of training things that didn't get done. One of the things that they cited, for example, was that they couldn't even get information out to the victims on who was killed and who was alive. And that was a you know thing that was cited as failed leadership. So my guess is you have police. Well, look, you'll have police departments and organizations all across the country that will probably, because of this report, have to go through renewed training to make sure they don't have something like this happen in the future. You know, and that's and, and I believe that's already been going on. I mean, I, I, every time there's any kind of, you know, tragic incident, whether it's a police shooting or a, or a air disaster, 
you know, the idea is that we're going to come along, we're going to study it, and we're going to we're going to take lessons from it to try to make sure that um, in the future uh, those same mistakes are, are not repeated. And so, um, from the law enforcement agencies that I deal with, and the people that I deal with uh, on a regular basis who are in leadership positions in law enforcement, I know this is the kind of thing that's you know always you know discussed every time. Every time there's any kind of incident, where it be, whether it be a school shooting or any other kind of um, crime response, uh, good leaders will will continue their their, I guess their their education, if you will, in the forms of ongoing training, ongoing discussion, um, and uh, you know we can't undo obviously what happened in Uvalde, but we can certainly learn from it and and better prepare our men and women uh, in blue to deal with these things in the future. Fox News analyst Phil Holloway with us, former DA, also a former police officer. We're going to talk about COVID here in a second because you do a lot of work with that. But this this just happened, I guess, today. And you did a great job, either it was last week or the week before, kind of explaining to my audience the uh, details of some of the background of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. And I guess the state... Um, well, the judge that's overseeing that case has decided that she has to have a hearing related to her lead prosecutor, right, Phil? Yeah, there's going to be a hearing at the middle of next month, and this is really the the fact that there's going to be a hearing is to be expected. Anytime you've got a um, a, a party in any kind of criminal case that files a motion uh, like this, seeking to dismiss something, the burden of proof and the burden of production of evidence is going to be on the party that, that files the motion. So it's going to be up to attorney Ashley Merchant to to bring the witnesses that she says she has and produce any other evidence to establish the the facts that she's alleged in this in this filing. Now, here's the thing though, if if I am the district attorney, if I'm Fonnie Willis, uh if if they if they've got the goods on me and and the effect, if the affair did exist, the sexual or romantic relationship, if it did exist do I really want uh, these witnesses to testify on the world stage and bring all my dirty laundry sort of out in the open, or do I concede the the, the factual issues, or at least a lot of them, and just argue about the what 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 these things mean legally? So I think that if I'm advising her, if I'm her lawyer, and we know that she's got one now, uh, she I would advise her to perhaps uh, go ahead and. Um, take her medicine, so to speak, acknowledge it, uh, and then argue to the judge that even uh, if these things are true, it doesn't mean that the case should be dismissed or that I need to be disqualified. Right. Uh, Good luck with that, I would say. But she goes to a black church over the weekend, and she finally addresses some of the allegations when it comes to her and the lead prosecutor who was having an affair with her. And she says she describes herself as flawed and imperfect. I'm sure the race card was pulled as well. So she, yeah, yeah, of course, right? So, I, I, you know, I don't know if she's going to get disqualified, but this is interesting because it has kind of piled up on her in in a very quick fashion here, and at least there's going to be some investigation. She's become the center of attention now, and and that's not what the prosecutor in any kind of case would want. Uh, Having been a prosecutor, I can tell you that I want folks focused on uh, the defendant in the case, the evidence against the defendant, and the defendant's alleged guilt, and that sort of thing. Here's, she's already been recused by a, a separate judge, the judge that was sort of overseeing the grand jury. She was uh, she held a fundraiser for the opponent of Georgia's current lieutenant governor, who was 
who she was simultaneously investigating as part of this and would have been probably a, a an indicted defendant, but for the fact that another judge said you can't do that. This is a irreparable conflict of interest. You're, you're not going to be able to do anything with respect to the lieutenant governor because of the political conflict of interest. Here, she is alleged to have a financial interest in the mere existence of this case and, of course, in the continuation of the prosecution. The allegation being that because she's having a, an affair with this other guy who she's steering money to, she is financially benefiting in the form of lifestyle purchases. And so that's that's basically a kickback scheme. And so if the if if holding a fundraiser or participating in a fundraiser for Burt Jones's uh, political opponent in the lieutenant governor's race, if that was a conflict of interest, I gotta think that having a your your fingers in the pie, so to speak, a, a direct financial uh, gain in, in by, by virtue of having this prosecution in the first place. I've got to believe that's also a conflict of interest that may be irreconcilable. You know, it just gets so exhausting, too. I was thinking about this last night with Fonnie Willis and some of the others, and I would include Kim Gardner here in St. Louis, and you have this um, constantly. It's always the race car. Race has something. You're not doing your job. doesn't matter. It's race. It's racism, right? We saw well, this part in Jane having an, Here's the thing. If she were having an affair— with a a white female, the allegation would still be there. All right, it has it has nothing to do with anybody's race. There's there's other independent private lawyers that are under contract, and that's another issue. We can talk about that. But but she's not alleged to have be sleeping with those people, and she's not alleged to be overpaying those people. One of whom literally wrote the book here in Georgia on racketeering cases. The Daily Caller reporting that that she's paying him less than she's paying Nathan Wade. So some of the things she said at that church were just demonstrably untrue, and and I don't think it has anything to do with race. I think it has to do with who she's allegedly sleeping with. I cannot wait to hear more testimony. Hopefully, it goes public from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's before the subcommittee on the COVID origins. This is Ohio Congressman Brad Wenstrup, who was in that committee, heard the testimony, talked about how, and some of this has gotten out, Phil, as you know, you know, this whole six feet thing was completely made up. He said it just sort of appeared and then they went with it. So you can see that there's not a real good process. We asked the same question about masks. He said, well, there was really no scientific data, no, no study behind it. Uh, we just kind of put that out there. Look, Dr. Fauci was the face of the pandemic for America. 1.2 million Americans lost their lives. We're going through a process of what decisions they made and why they made their decisions. Congressman Wenstrup said that in that testimony, even just on the first day, he said, Fauci said 200 times, I don't recall. Wow. 200 times. Yeah, for somebody who's writing his memoirs, he doesn't have much of a memory. Uh, the, you know, here's the thing. The, the worst thing about the six-foot distance, I mean, as much as people ignored mask requirements, they certainly tended to ignore the six foot, even when it was on a round sticker at the grocery store telling you where to stand. The six foot rule was the single most disruptive thing in terms of schooling our kids. This is what kept kids out of school. Classes and, and ed educators decided that, that they just can't operate a school and maintain six foot distancing. And the same way with courts. Uh, my former law partner, the chief judge at the time here in, in my local jurisdiction, was very frustrated with that. He wanted to get the courtrooms back open and operating at full capacity, but because of the CDC requirement of six feet, it just couldn't be done. The This was a very destructive policy, and for Fauci to come out now 
and just admit that he knew all along, it's, infuri- it's infuriating because, you know, many of us were screaming this from the roof- rooftops oh, yeah. at the time. I do remember uh, that. But now yeah. to hear him say it with impunity is outrageous. Yeah, it is. And I hope that that goes in, in Congressman Wenstrup and that committee. They fully expect that he will go public eventually and have to answer some of these questions on the record before the American people. Phil, always great to have you on. You have a great weekend and we will talk soon. You too. I'm sure we'll be talking more about all of this. Oh, yeah. It's not going away, especially Fonny. You know, every once in a while I go through, I try to do this every two months, if not more, I go through the list of the shows that are coming up, like The Factory and The Pageant, and this band, Flock Seagulls. No way. Along with their hair, coming to the pageant in just a couple of months. I had no idea. P.S., what do you think their hair looks like now? I know. Uh, you still have to have the hairdos, don't you? I would you? think, You wouldn't right? be a flock of seagulls uh, from the 80s. But anyway, we, I may have to go to that show. We'll have to see. 347. Um, I don't think I'm the only one kind of curious about what's going to happen with the Cardinals and oh, the Blues broadcast on Bally. And there was something that happened yesterday, and then there was something else that happened yesterday where MLB's lawyer said, wait a second, we don't know what's going on. And I've read, i got to welcome Patrick Risch, who's the director of the Sports Business Program at WashU to the Fold here this afternoon. Patrick, good afternoon. Well, thanks for having me on, and I'm hearing the discussion about Flock of Seagulls, and as a guy from the 80s, i got to tell you, you got to be careful if you try to emulate that hairdo, because I had a shaggy mug back in the 80s, and I would try to comb and moose my hair to look like the lead singer, and now I'm bald as can be. Uh-oh. So be Uh-oh. careful. Be careful how to use those products, man. That is good <laughs> advice. So I will I'll preface this by saying, and I think the audience knows this, I'm not really too sharp. I'm not a smart person, but I've read like three or four different articles on this whole thing with Bally and Diamond Sports, and I have no idea what the hell is going on. So can you help me? I'll try. And, and even myself, you know, luckily I've got some uh, some close friends that work in the industry, uh, providing some insights. But, you know, basically, just as St. Louis had a white knight that brought soccer to St. Louis and the Taylor family, well, Amazon is the white knight that has now stepped up to basically save Diamond Sports. With them stepping up in this bankruptcy proceeding uh, that, that Diamond Sports and Sinclair found themselves in, largely because they overpaid, for regional sports networks, and there's been a lot of cord cutting, so they're just not getting the value. Uh, We were looking at debt of about $650 million. Well, Amazon rides in. They're paying $100 million. Sinclair is going to add to that uh, close to $500 million, and this is going to largely cover most of the debtors that, that, that Diamond Sports has had. So what does this mean in the short term? In the short term, what this means is you've got Five Major League Baseball teams, including the Royals and the Rays and uh, the Brewers, and there's two others, the Tigers, where now they're going to be able in those markets to not only watch their games on linear TV, but now also can stream through Prime Video. What we don't know yet with respect to those markets is, you know, will those markets be charging an additional, will Amazon charge an additional fee on top of the Prime membership? Hopefully they don't. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for Cardinals fans and Blues fans? Well, what it means is for 2024, it doesn't mean anything. Right now, the Cardinals still have their contracts intact. What we don't know is what's going to happen going beyond this. And again, okay. it still needs to pass the courts. As you mentioned, the MLB lawyers, they, they were licking their chops. They wanted to, to grab these rights because they were, they were going to be available. And as I say, Amazon came in and swept it up and, and looks like, 
they're now going to have the ability, if things go a certain way, to not only show these teams going forward, but roughly half of the NBA and a third of the NHL. So that's wow. interesting because I didn't know, you know, you just broke some news to me. I thought maybe this was going to take place a little bit sooner. And, you know, the court cutting that you mentioned is interesting. So I, I've had DirecTV forever, it had it, and it was mainly driven. I don't know how many people would base their decisions on this, but I had to have the NFL package, okay, Sunday ticket. Well, then it goes to YouTube TV. I don't need Direct TV anymore, but then I'm challenged because YouTube TV does not have Bally. Fubo TV has Bally. So my decision might need to change this. I have both Fubo and, uh, you know, YouTube TV. I don't really want both because I'm barely watching Fubo, but it's because of the sports package. So if this goes on Prime, I think that's a good thing for for me and other people. But, man, it's hard to keep straight, and some people aren't going to be happy because they have the regular TV, and if it gets just streaming on Prime, that won't please another segment of the customers, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, especially in baseball, where you have an older fan base to begin with compared to the other sports. You know, it's interesting if I could make just a comparison, which now is a very uh, tangible comparison now that we have Major League Soccer in our community. But, of course... Major League Soccer did a deal with Apple TV uh, as opposed to trying to go through right. you know, uh, ESPN or Fox or whomever else. And I think most people feel very positive about that relationship. And, and what, what, when you're going through that streaming audience, it made more sense in Major League Soccer because you do have a younger audience. But the nice thing about going through streaming is this, this gives the teams – the leagues, and in this case, Apple, uh, more ability to generate and create more content. Now, in baseball, different story with Amazon. Let's say that the Cardinals do end up going this route, uh, and Amazon ends up providing the same service that is now available in Kansas City and in Milwaukee and Detroit, where fans can watch on TV, on Valley Sports Midwest, or they can stream on Prime Video. Uh, there's going to be some older fans, right, that are certainly not going to want to go the, the, the prime route because that's, they're not really part of the streaming crowd. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me because if you're going after younger fans in every sports league, including baseball, especially baseball, wants to bring those fans back into the fray, this might be a good deal for that reason alone. I think you're right about that. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. And it gets, you know, the, the whole thing with, um, with streaming and your charter or your AT&T, U-verse or your DirecTV. Patrick, I think you, you probably talk about this and teach about this. It's just gotten so confusing for people. And some of us, I feel like I have every damn streaming service. You know, we went from only having no where well, we had no choices to having too many choices. And yeah. I don't know where this takes us because some of this has to be consolidated, doesn't it? You would think so. We, we, we've gone from a world, like you say, the reason we broke away from these cable bundles was because a lot of people, a lot of us probably don't watch a lot of those channels. And even myself, uh, even though I'm in my 50s, I also broke away from cut the cord and, and use sling. However, there's been so much, you know, kind of, you know, th- th- all of these different subscription-based models. Now people have found that they might be paying more than they were paying during the old cable days because they're buying all these different little packages That's because right. these different companies are trying to capture our, our, our surplus, if you will. So it, it's, it is convoluted, and you wonder, at, at some point, will it go back? What's not going back in the bottle is streaming. And all of these, whether it's properties like Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, 
they want younger fans, and they know streaming is the way to do it. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people bitched about the Chiefs being on Peacock, but that is the future. All right, so let me ask you this. It's Sue. Hi there, Patrick. Uh, hey, Sue. This spring, I go to watch the Cardinals. Where do I go? Same place, right? Same old Valley Same for place. a while. Valley Sports okay. Midwest. And when yes, is that contract right. up? So my understanding is the contract's up at the end of 2024, and then from there it's going to be a, a combination of how how does whether it's the Cardinals, Major League Baseball, Amazon. There's going to be a discussion. There may be some more court rulings that are come that that will come out down the down the road. So we don't know what's going to happen in 2025, but in 2024. Your Blues, your Cardinals, still on Valley Sports. See, you, even that is helpful because I, I, I'm telling you, in some of the stories that I've read about this, I didn't even take that away from it. So, Patrick, you're always helpful. I appreciate it. I now can envision you with a flock of seagulls hair, which is helpful as well. You have a great week and weekend. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Keep us posted. Absolutely. Take, take care. care. Get more at 971talk.com.